Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 142 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. This show shouldn't really be involving too much rambling on. There's not too much to review. There's not too much to preview. So we will be going to the interviews in, uh, you know, in, in not such a long time. So let's just dive in now to the review. And we're going to start in a place called Martin's West. That was the name of the venue in Maryland, USA. A couple fights to mention on this bill. We have the two sons of the former heavyweight world champion Hassim Rackman. We're going to start with Hassim Rackman Jr. He successfully moved to 5-0. and It was a retirement, actually. He made his man retire in the first round. His opponent's name was Stephen Tyner with a record of 4-15 and with three draws. Um, there's a little clip that Hassim Rackman Jr. uploaded to Twitter, and basically he hit this guy with like a straight left hand, and the guy um, seemed to kind of really really lose his balance and fall into the ropes and stuff like that and then the video cuts so I don't really know what happened but it says he retired so maybe he didn't want to you know have another round of that so a good win there for Hassim Rackman Jr another first round stoppage for him he's now 5-0 and also on the bill Sharif Rackman moved to 3-0 and a unanimous decision over four rounds against Talik Taylor who was 3-10 and with one draw going in now 3-11 and with one draw that's it for Maryland moving over now to the odd Odyssey Arena, though, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, United Kingdom. Let's start with the undercard here. Sonny Edwards, the flyweight, he moved to 8-0, and a points win over six rounds against Christian Navarez, who now has a record of 15-8 and with four draws. Gary Corcoran, 17-2, and was supposed to be taking on Paddy Gallagher. Paddy Gallagher had to pull out with a serious injury, so I was gutted for him and also for Gary Corcoran. It was a bit of a grudge match, I believe, that one. Of course, we had Gary on the show a few weeks back. Um, the late replacement ended up being a guy called Victor Ankara, who was 8-2. and two. He stepped in and got TKO'd in round 5 of 8. So, a good win there for Gary Corcoran, now 18-2. and two. Hopefully, that fight can be rescheduled with him and Paddy Gallagher. Moving up the bill once again, Johnny Coyle, 18-0 and 0 with one draw. He put his record on the line against Lewis Benson, also undefeated, 10-0. and 0. Somebody's O had to go. It ended up being a points win over 10 rounds. A very, very close fight actually Johnny Coyle I don't think fought to the best of his abilities it was the first time I'd ever seen Lewis Benson fight also you know it was a points win and it was the referee scoring the bout so it was so close that a lot of people weren't happy with it on social media perhaps if there were three judges we'd have had a little bit of a um, I guess more definitive opinion or outcome at least because you know the referee he tried to score it best he could and to be honest he probably got it about right it was very close I think it was just by one point or one round um, in favor of Johnny Coyle so he remains undefeated now 19 and 0 with one draw Lewis Benson now 10 and 1 like I say he loses his O there um, it would have been nice to see three judges score that bout to be completely honest uh, moving up the bill once again Tyrone McCulloch 10 and 0 took on Joe Ham 14 and 0 once again somebody's O had to go. McCulloch was down in the third round from a right hand from Joe Ham, but unbelievably, McCulloch managed to get back up and win unanimously over 10, so a brilliant win for him. He's the new Celtic super bantamweight champion. All the very best to him. Moving up the bill once again, John O'Carroll, 15-0, took on Declan Geraghty, 17-2. A lot of people actually picking Geraghty to win this one. John O'Carroll stepping up in class once again here. It was for the IBF Intercontinental Super Featherweight title. John O'Carroll, a big guy for the weight as well. And a big test for him, actually. He didn't really have it all his own way, but he did manage to get the TKO in round nine. And John O'Carroll being tipped for big things now, he certainly impressed me there. A brilliant, brilliant win. Not... 
you know, not, not just to get the win, but to actually manage to get the stoppage. That was quite impressive, to be honest. John O'Carroll certainly improving all the time. He really, really is. I'm pleased for him. He's got a humongous beard. I can't believe they let him fight with that beard. It's, um, you know, it's even bigger than Adrian Broner's beard, the way he grows it out. And they always make him shave it off. So, um, I remember as well, Tyson Fury, when he was fighting Klitschko, I think he had a huge beard at the weigh-in and they made him shave it off. But John O'Carroll... Um, he's managing to get away with it thus far. All the very best to him. 16 and 0 now. Jack Catterall, 21 and 0, stepped in against Tyrone McKenna, 16 and 0, with one draw. It was for the WBO Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. That was Jack Catterall's belt, of course. It was a 10-round unanimous decision in favour of Jack Catterall. Tyrone McKenna was down three times, though. I tell you what, he showed a lot of heart. He showed a lot of balls, and he showed a lot of determination, to be honest. A lot of mental strength to keep getting back up and giving it his all. And to actually finish was really impressive from him. He will certainly come again. I think he'll learn from that loss there. But the actual fight itself, I think the first round was very close. I'm just going to give it a little round-by-round round rundown. The second round, I felt that Jack Catterall, when he knocked McKenna down in that second round, he hit him with about two or three shots while McKenna was on his knees. The referee ruled it a no-knock down and actually took a point off Catterall. That was quite bizarre. And then McKenna did then get put down um, a little while after. Um, that time, the referee saw it as a legitimate knockdown. And yeah, you know, it ended up kind of ruling out the, um, you know, the, the point off of Jack Catterall. So quite, quite, quite a weird and difficult round to score, really. Um, there was only two seconds to go in the round, I believe, as well, when um, when 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 McKenna went down as well, so he was quite unlucky actually there. In the third round, it was another decent round for Jack Catterall. McKenna um, seemed to respond quite well actually. He he seemed to recover quite well as well. And in the fourth round, I felt that McKenna came back into it a little bit. He had quite a good round himself. Maybe he even won the fourth in my eyes. And in the fifth round, McKenna got knocked down early in that round due to a body shot from Catterall. In the sixth, Tyron McKenna certainly won that round, and the crowd really started to get hyped up in that round things were starting to get interesting McKenna also was growing in confidence and to be honest the last few rounds were quite good rounds as well it was probably fight of the night I said that going into the whole thing I said that this is the fight that's intriguing me um, more than all the others and it seemed to really live up to my expectations anyway and um, like I say I think Tyron McKenna he you know he threw himself in deep waters there he didn't really have ample time to prepare for Jack Catterall vice versa really but Jack Catterall has been around the block and um, he you know he put on a great great performance and I'd like to see him in with some of the other guys like I said on last week's show I think him against O'Hara Davies is a good fight throw Terry Flanagan in the mix now if he's not going to bounce back at world title level there are some great great fights out there for Jack Catterall and like I say Tyron McKenna all the very best to you my friend you will come again for sure the main event here though Michael Conlon, 7-0. He took on Adilson Dos Santos, 19-4. The Brazilian fighter that we saw take on Kid Galahad once upon a time before Kid Galahad got suspended. Um, what I will say is, you know, Michael Conlon looked okay. I don't know if he, you know, was feeling the pressure from the crowd, feeling the pressure to deliver on that big stage, his homecoming as a pro. But he didn't really fight to his best ability I don't think I wasn't that impressed and it's not the first time I've said that with uh, Michael Conlon I think sometimes he gets a little bit over eager sometimes he you know he, he seems to kind of get a bit involved when he doesn't need to sometimes I think he kind of like neglects his his boxing skill to try and impress and sometimes it goes wrong for him so you know, a very dominant win. He won every single round for sure, but he didn't really impress. And, you know, if he was to knock this guy out, then it would have really made a statement. But he didn't really make that statement, to be honest. It ended up being an eight-round points win in favor of Michael Conlon. I will give Dos Santos some credit, though. I mean, he's been stopped twice before, but to be fair, they were to real good fighters. He got stopped by Jesse Magdaleno in two rounds. He got stopped by Fabian Orozco, um, who is not really a big puncher, actually, but that one was quite a big fight at the time back in 2016. But yeah, he went the distance with Keith Galahad over 12. Um, he did go down in the first round and in the 10th round against Galahad, so when you get the measuring stick out, you know, it doesn't look brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, a relatively easy night's work, but 
nothing really impressive for me and it's a shame because obviously it was the main event but it was probably the most I don't want to be too critical but I think it was probably the most boring fight of the televised fight so um yeah, a little bit of a thumbs down there, but all the very best to Michael Conlon now 8-0, a perfect record. Moving over now to the North Knotts Arena in Nottinghamshire, United Kingdom. One fight to mention on this bill, of course, we mentioned it last week as well. Dex Spellman, he returned to the ring for the first time since that um, that shocking fight that he had against Scott Westgarth. Um, you know, it took a lot out of Dex Spellman mentally, but he came back to the ring here and he managed to grind out a points win over four rounds against Gingrich Vilecki, who is a journeyman, to be completely honest. But I'm happy to see Dex Spellman back, a four-round points win there. He's now 12-1. and one. That one loss, like I say, came to Westgarth and then about 10 minutes after the fight, Westgarth um, slipped into a coma and eventually... Um, never woke up from it. So real tragic scenes, of course. We've spoke about that many, many times. But um, I'm happy to see Dex Spellman back. Hopefully he can try his best to put that behind him and move forward with his very promising career. All the very best to Dex Spellman, 12-1 now. Moving over to the Holt Suite in Villa Park, Birmingham, West Midlands. This one was a, a bit of a homecoming, really, for Sam Eggington. It was for the vacant IBO Continental Super Welterweight title. Sam Eggington, 22-4. Peter Kramer in the other corner, 8-0 with one draw. He's actually the guy that had a very controversial draw last time out with Peter McDonough. I think that was on the Huey Fury recent fight against Sam Sexton. I think that was on the undercard there. But yeah, this guy had a very shocking um, draw with Peter McDonough. Most people saying he was very lucky to get the draw. Of course, he's a foreign fighter as well. So he, to get a dodgy decision in your favor on British soil, if you're a foreign fighter, is quite rare. But anyway, he got knocked out in four rounds against Sam Eggington. No need for any controversial judging here. Peter Kramer loses his O, a TKO in that fourth round. Sam Eggington weighed in at 152 and a quarter. So it seems like he's very trim, actually, for a fight. Um, you know, at 154, of course, which he's moved up to now. But it seems like he's made that quite easily, looking at that. Moving over now, though, to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. One fight to mention, or two fights to mention on this bill. The heavyweight prospect Cassius Cheney, he moved to 13-0, and a TKO in the very first round against Elder Hernandez, who's now 5-3. and And Joe Smith Jr. returned to the ring after some time out. He lost last time against Sullivan Barrera, a real good fighter, Joe Smith Jr., on his day. He had a fantastic, I think it was 2016 or 2017, he was contender for five of the year. He was the man that retired Bernard Hopkins and knocked him out of the ring and he got a knockout here in the very first round against Melvin Russell who's now 11-5 and with two draws. Joe Smith Jr. is back ladies and gentlemen. His record now at 24-2. and Moving over now to the Chesapeake Energy Arena in Oklahoma. Oklahoma City, USA. One fight to mention over here I believe. Well a couple fights actually. Um, Mike Alvarado, he moved to win number 39. He's got four losses. He made his opponent retire on his store after nine rounds of a scheduled 10. Apparently, the cut was so bad that the corner decided to stop it. In the other corner, the guy's name was Martin Martinez. What a name. His record now 18-15 and 15 with one draw. Um... Alex Salcedo against Leonardo Zapavigna. I'm told this was potentially, um, you know, potentially fight of the year, actually. Apparently, the first three rounds were absolutely incredible. It was for the vacant WBA, NABA super lightweight title and also the vacant WBO international super lightweight title. Zapavigna was down in the third round. Alex Salcedo in deep water here, like I say, a real step up in class for him, but he's moved to 28 and 0. The TKO came in. In the seventh round, Leonardo Zapavigna now 37 and 4. A brilliant, brilliant, brilliant win for Alex Salcedo. I did only see a couple of seconds of it. I need to go and watch that because I've heard it was potentially a fight of the year contender there. And the main event on this one, I did watch it. Gilberto Ramirez, 37-0. He moved to 38-0. He successfully defended his WBO World Super Middleweight title against the previously undefeated Roma Angulo, who went into this contest with a record of 23-0. It was a unanimous decision win over 12 rounds in favor of the champion Gilberto Ramirez. Now, this one here was shown on Box Nation on Saturday night. 
Um, I mean, he didn't really look great, to be honest. And the champion, Ramirez, had some rocky moments himself. He did win very wide, ultimately, over the, you know, over the course of the fight when it comes to the judges' scorecards. But to be honest, he had some rocky moments. And I think the pundits rightly said all the other champions at super middleweight will be looking at him thinking, do you know what? I fancy that fight. He's got a brilliant-looking record, 38-0, one of the longest undefeated streaks in boxing right now. But he wasn't that impressive there. I know he's had a few injuries. This guy came in, um, you know, he was a Colombian fighter. He came in with that that sort of unknown quantity status about him, I guess. Um, a big puncher, we knew. And he showed the power in there, even though he'd only knocked out weak opposition previously he didn't look too bad really but like I say ultimately it didn't matter too much because he lost very wide on the cards but Gilberto Ramirez possibly um you know possibly his 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 best days are maybe behind him he's still quite young which is you know the, the shocking thing but um yeah, I mean, him against, I'd like to see him in probably against someone like a David Benavidez. That would be a brilliant fight, a great unification for the WBC and WBO titles. Two undefeated fighters, two former um, sparring partners of each other, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, that really wraps up the reviewing. Like I said, not too much to go over. I've tried to fly through that as quick as possible. It's now time, just before we wrap up part one, to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA heavyweight champion of the world, Mr. Lucas Brown. Lucas, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, it's always my pleasure, Lucas. So, of course, we last spoke in the build-up to your fight against Dillian White. Obviously, that fight didn't pan out the way you expected it to. Did anything surprise you at all in any way with Dillian? Um, in regards to Dillian White himself, um, I think he did everything he needed to do. Um, yeah, he was ready, he was fit, uh, he was lean, um, and obviously prepared very well for the fight. Uh, I personally think he was probably in the best shape he has been since he started boxing, which was you know, good for him, not for me. Um, unfortunately for me, I wasn't prepared as well as I should have been, uh, and I have since rectified that situation. Yeah, sometimes you, you have to learn lessons, and sometimes they're painful ones. So, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a painful lesson at the moment. Yeah, I think that's honest for you to say. That's fair enough. Um, I can't remember now how much notice you were given, you know, in the build-up to that fight, Lucas. But was it not enough time for you, yeah. or what? You know, what was the reason behind that? No, it it, de- it definitely was enough time. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was something along twelve weeks and maybe ten weeks. But yeah, there was enough time. Um, I think it was just the fact that my camp wasn't set up the way it is now. Um, all my boxing side of thing was on point. Away from boxing in regards to strength and conditioning and all that sort of stuff, I had I didn't have anything at all. So um, I've never actually done strength and conditioning for a fight before, which I have started to do now. So I'm actually very interested to see how I'm going to go from this point on. Okay, excellent, excellent. Now, there was more than a bit of bad blood in the build-up. I'm guessing you didn't really get a chance to talk to Dillian in person after the fight due to the way it ended. Have you guys spoken at all? And if so, is there you know, is there still this dislike or is it all kind of forgotten about and squashed now, if you like? Uh, yeah, there was, there was nothing to uh, spoke on after the fight, unfortunately. But in, in regards to social media and stuff, I, I keep in touch with a lot of people um, and, and White is one of them. Um, I think it's, it's sort of been said and done. We've, 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 we've had our fight. Um, he's come out the victor. I'm accepting of that. Like, yeah, he was the better guy on the night. Um, so we've sort of just put it behind us, which is good. So we, we do chat here and there, and I, I wish him luck and vice versa. So I think it was a build-up. We had our fight, and then we move on. Yeah, nice to hear, nice to hear. Now, of course, Ricky Hatton perhaps went a little bit overboard when doing one or two interviews about you. You posted a response video on Twitter. What's actually the situation there now between you both? I'm, I'm trying to get out of the contract. Um, it was a three-year deal I signed uh, that's turned into seven at the moment. Uh, so basically, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get out of it. It ends officially in January uh, of next year, but I'm, I'm sort of uh, it, 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 it's in legal hands at the moment. So I can fight, um, but he will get a piece of it still if I do fight. So. I am a free agent, so to speak, but I still have to pay him for my uh, the pleasure of boxing. Very un- unfortunate situation there, it seems. Um, 
I understand that you'll be undergoing a minor operation on Tuesday on your knee for an injury that you sustained in that white fight. What exactly needs to happen there, Lucas, if you can say? Uh, it's a meniscus tear, like it's a very minor meniscus tear. Now, these days, it's very it's very simple. It's uh, in and out in the day, um, and it's roughly 10 days uh, for recovery, stuff like that, um, and then you get back into training and, and everything else. So... For me, it is it is a minor thing. Um, it's something that I need to get done because when I did get knocked out, as I got hit, I fell in a very bad position, which basically twisted my knee up. Um, so all they do is go in and basically straighten everything up. Uh, they, they they clean it up basically. That's the best way to describe it. So it's a slight clean up for me. It's ten days off, and then I'm back into it. So it's, it's we've put the fight back from the 29th of July. Um, about a month back. So I'm still fighting. Um, it's a little hiccup, but we're still all full steam ahead. Okay, brilliant. It's good to hear that it's not going to, you know, put you back too much there. Ten days of recovery is not, not too bad for the for the, for the waiting fans. Um, as you said there, you were set to return to the ring later this month. That's now been cancelled, but you're saying providing all goes well on Tuesday, you'd like to get right back in straight away. Um, how soon can we expect an announcement? Is there any kind of, um, you know, location for it or date for it just yet on the table at all that you can say? Hopefully, it's still through the Neutral Corner promotions, which I was supposed to be fighting on, which is in Sydney. Um, I believe his next show will be the first week in September. So there's something like five weeks, possibly. Uh, don't quote me on that, sorry. But uh, first week of September. So um, I can fight now. I'm, I'm sparring now and all that sort of stuff. I'm still doing all that, but I'm doing it, say, 80 90%, and I don't want to go into a fight especially a warm-up fight at 90% and then possibly lose because of my knee, you know what I mean? So I want to make sure I'm 100% and, and ready to go. Yeah, so yeah, that's about five weeks. I think you're right there. It's about five weeks after your proposed date at the end of July, like I say. You fought in the UK twice now, um, if I'm not mistaken. Do you see yourself coming back again in the near future at all, Lucas? Is it something that you still want to do? It, it's been six times, I believe. Um, oh, I've, wow. I've fought in the UK, so... Uh, Butlin, um, Rodenko. Rodenko, yeah. Uh, I fought my Commonwealth title over there against uh, Baholi. Uh, yes, yeah, so I've been over there a few times. Yeah, I, I, I quite my like apologies. it personally. I think it's great. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I, I, I think the the UK fans are, yeah, obviously sometimes a little bit of an asshole, but they're, <laughs> they're very much behind. Um, yeah, they're very much into their boxing, which is great. And no matter how you look at it, it's always good to to, to have someone there that's interested in what you're doing. So I'm I'm very thankful to all the UK fans for showing interest in my boxing and all that sort of stuff. And, and I really do enjoy coming over there. Now, this is a bit of an untimely question, I suppose, at the moment. Now, I know that obviously you're coming off a loss. You'll be looking to drop down a level, you know, for your immediate fights at the moment. But when you do step back up, is there anybody at all that you've got on your radar right now? Or, you know, is it too early for that? To be honest, what, what I want to do, and this is obviously the, the plan, whether it goes ahead or not, that's, you know, this is boxing, unfortunately. So the next guy is Roger Izzaretti, who um, is somewhat of a journeyman, I suppose you could call that. But uh, it is a warm-up fight. Um, maybe an Alex Leopai after that, another Australian fighter who's yeah, fought Klitschko, um, things like that. Then looking, this is my plan to go against someone like a Dave Allen. Um, if I can get through those three, then possibly like a manual char for the WA title, uh, which I was stripped off, things like that. So these are sort of the things I want to get back to, sort of a little bit of a building up process. But I do want to get back to some bigger fights, especially in the UK. Yeah, I really like the sound of that plan, actually. That seems like quite a bright path, actually. Um, I was going to mention, yeah. you know, I was I was actually going to mention, in Australia, like, the top three heavyweights are probably yourself, Alex Leopold, like you mentioned, and Mark DeMori. I was going to ask you, have you got any kind of personal relationships that could, you know, potentially stop those fights happening? But then you just mentioned Alex Leopold. Um Is Mark DeMori a guy that you've got a relationship with that could prevent that fight from going ahead? Do those fights interest you at all or not really? Um, I'm not too sure about Zamori, to be honest. Um, I know he's been over in Croatia, I believe it is. Yeah, that's um, right, yeah. And he's been over there for a few years now, just fighting basically bums. Um, but I think he's retired. I, I'm, I'm not sure if he's actually fighting anymore. Um, but no, it's not really a fight that I really want because I don't think he has any rankings. 
that's that's the problem. Like, if I want to fight someone, I want to fight someone that's going to make it at least worthwhile for me, put a title on the line and, and get some sort of rankings. Um, for me, that's where someone like a, a Dave Allen would really sort of be good for me because I think it's a good hard fight that we're both going to come to fight with. Um, and it puts me back on the map in UK. Yeah, I really like the sound of that fight. Um, just to clarify, Mark Damori has a fight set for August the 4th, actually. So, uh, yeah, he's not... Returning. Oh, well, <laughs> Um, when you were over here, you were able to do some rounds with Tyson Fury. How was that for you? And did you get a chance to see his, um, very interesting ring return to say the least? (laughs) Yeah. Um, to be honest, uh, I had three sessions booked in with Tyson. I think it was Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Um, he turned up on the Saturday, um, and for my for, for my purposes, it was more of a muck around. He was there and he was basically showboating and hanging off the ring and he did a spinning back elbow like he was doing MMA things and he was there really to muck around. But in saying that, I did see the skill level and unfortunately, he's six foot nine with arms longer than you know, most people's uh, full bodies sort of thing and he can move. So to be honest, he's, he's extremely talented. Uh, I like the fact he's trimmed down again. And um, I did watch that fight. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, it was a bit of a joke. I think the, the fight in the crowd was a bit better than the actual fight in the ring. <laughs> I want to get your opinion on three upcoming fights now in the heavyweight division. Um, obviously, when you were here, I think you you certainly shared a session or two with Derek Chisora. He's got a very tough task coming up at the end of the month against Carlos Takam. How did you see that one unfolding? I think it's a good fight for both of them because they both like fighting sort of close and inside. So uh, I think it's just going to be a, a general tear-up. Um, there's not going to be too much sort of toing and froing in and out. It's just going to be, let's come together and let's bash it on. So I think that's going to be a sensational fight. And what is your take on Joseph Parker's challenge against Dillian White? Obviously, um, you know, Joseph Parker coming off that loss to Joshua. He didn't disgrace himself at all. And, um, you know, Dillian White, you know, a former foe of yourself, coming off a good win over you, unfortunately. It's a brilliant fight, though, for both. And it's a great stage at this, you know, at this point of their careers to get it on. Who do you see coming out the victor there? To be honest, I was, I was quite surprised. I didn't think Parker was going to take someone like a White, but um, I'm, I'm extremely happy for it. I think it's a, a genuine 50-50 fight. Uh, if White does come in and the shape he was against me and continues that, he's going to really trouble Parker. Um, but at the same time, I think if they let the fight go when they do get close, it will be a very interesting fight. I think they um, every time that Joshua and Parker got together, the referee broke it up straight away rather than letting him at least fight it out or, or throw a few punches where um, I think White and Parker are going to be much more comfortable closer, so it should be a great fight. Yeah, we certainly hope so. And my final real question for you now, Lucas, um, if this Anthony Joshua fight does end up happening against Povetkin, it's looking like now more and more, um, who do you see winning that one? I think it's it's a potential banana skin, of course, with the big money fights on the table, but it's not an easy fight for, for Joshua. I really don't think it is. No, I don't think it's an easy fight for Joshua at all because Povetkin has shown that he can yeah, mix it with the best of them. Um, in saying that, coming off that uh, win against Price, Price did show that Povetkin was easier to hit staying longer. Um, so I think if Joshua comes in and stays long, doesn't doesn't allow Povetkin to sort of set himself and get closer, I think Joshua wins it easily. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And um, lastly, Lucas, I just really wanted to give you an opportunity to send out a message to anybody that may be listening, not just the UK fans, but also I know you've got a real uh, a real clan of fans in in the, you know in Australia as well. What's your message to anybody that may be listening? Well, basically, um, on my last fight. It was a, uh, a real wake-up call for me. Um, I think it's something that needed to happen. Unfortunately for me, it, was, you know, it wasn't the most uh, pleasant of things. It was very painful, but it was definitely a lesson learned. Um, I have stuck to a rigorous plan of uh, you know, dieting as well as you know, training with strength and conditioning and boxing and everything else. So I think what you'll find is for my next fight and my fights onwards, um, you'll see the best Lucas Brown that uh, ever come out, which is good. And I think it's time. I'm, I'm 39 years old, and I think I need to sort of get it done as much as possible. So I've cruised along a little bit too long uh, relying on my power, and I think I need to be in the proper condition and actually box. 
and I think now is the time. Very well said, very honest. But listen, Lucas, I just want to say, from my point of view, you're one of the most down-to-earth and honest guys that we speak to, so I sincerely wish you all the best on your comeback trail. Thank you so much for your time once again, and we'll certainly catch up with you again in the near future. appreciate it, my friend. Um, I'm always here if you want to have a chat, so thank you very much. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Eyes, it's your time to shine. What have you got for us this week? Uh, Stuart Hall has officially retired. Yeah, um, I think we said it after he lost to Gavin McDonnell. Eyes, I'm pretty sure that we both said, um, you know, we felt he should probably retire. He did manage to win a world title in the end. Um, he's had he's had a tough career, I suppose, Stuart Hall, and obviously he's carried on um, for quite a long time in terms of his age. He's an older guy in that division now, and you know his his best days were really behind him. And he probably is a bit of an overachiever, to be honest. He seems like a nice character, so I wish him all the very best in his retirement. But yeah, he you know he, he fought the best. He really did um, in the latter part of his career. That's when he really stepped up in class. And like I say. You know, when he finally got that world title shot, and it was late in December of 2013, I remember it being, um, it was around Christmas, and he, you know, he had a brilliant fight, a proper, proper war with, um, with Vusi Malinga at the time, and then, you know, obviously, um, he, he won the title, he fought Martin Wald with it, he got the draw, then he lost it to Paul Butler on a split decision, and then he fought Randy Caballero, and, you know, that was really when his career kind of, you know, got to the top level, like, it was weird, because he kind of fought at the top level really late on in his career, and, um, you know, he made the best of it, he was a real tough guy right up until the finish, he managed to, you know, never get stopped or anything like that, he lost most recently to Gavin McDonnell, it was a brilliant performance by Gavin McDonnell, but yeah, I think his better days were really behind him, but he did achieve every boxer's dream and win a world title in a great, thrilling fight at the time, so yeah, we'd like to wish, of course, collectively, myself and I as Stuart Hall the very best in his retirement. Ben Jones has officially retired from boxing as well. Yeah, um, a friend of the show, a man that's been on the show once or twice before, maybe even two or three times, a real nice guy, obviously a fighter from Crawley, there's not much going on for those that live local, there's not much going on in Crawley, you know, they're certainly not known for their boxing. And, um, you know, Ben Jones was just an all-round nice guy. Um, Always a pleasure to speak to. Very, very down-to-earth. Very humble. And, again, he's another guy that I think was so underappreciated because... He fought some good fighters as well. I mean, he, you know, he fought Lee Selby. He lost a very, very close points, you know, fight to Lee Selby. That was a close fight there. Um, he took on Stephen Smith. He lost to him. He took on a few guys. He took on Jamie Spate when Jamie Spate was a decent fighter. He knocked him out. He took on Julie Joyner. That was a funny fight when he took him on in Spain. I think very controversial scorecards there. You know, he had a few a few kind of fights on the road, and he, he very much went under the radar. And most recently, I mean, we saw him lose to Reese Bellotti by a TKO, and I think that was really it for him. But what I do like about what he's done, he didn't immediately retire. You know, that fight against Bellotti was, was just over four months ago now. He's really took the time to sit back and think with his family, think with his whole team and he said you know what I think I should pack it in and fair play to him he's done it on his own terms he's achieved some great things and I just want to wish him all the very best because he was a real nice guy and you know he's welcome on this podcast whenever he likes to talk about boxing um yeah you know one of the one of the nicest most genuine guys out there so yeah all the very best to you my friend and um, hopefully we'll speak to you soon or hopefully see you soon at some point but yeah all the very best in retirement the game will miss you for sure Josh Taylor has entered the World Boxing Super Series tournament. Yeah, I mean, he just keeps impressing us all the time, doesn't he? All these step-ups in fights, he's just come off that brilliant win against Victor Postel in an excellent fight. And in a few days later, boom, he announces this absolute bombshell. He's going to be fighting in that tournament there. The best versus the best. There's no reason to rush this kid. There's no reason, but they're doing it. And we just cannot do anything but sit back and applaud i love what they're doing with him other promoters need to take note and the world is this guy's oyster i really want to see him do well and it's just so exciting not just for you know for scottish boxing fans not just for british boxing fans but just for world boxing to see this guy on that huge stage that he'll be on it is just a dream come true for boxing fans all over the world carol relic to defend his wba super lightweight tower against edward trayanovsky 
Yeah, Edward Trojanovski is the former champion who actually got knocked out in a round by Julius Indongo. And since then, he's kind of, you know, gone under the radar. I think he's put together one or two wins himself. And he's back. He's back in this fight here. Um, first and foremost, it is a good fight. Um, really and truly, I think... Julius Indongo would have probably got the call, but because he just lost to Regis Progre a few a few weeks back now, or a few months back now, um, it doesn't look good coming off a loss in that fashion to put him in this tournament. So they've put Trojanovski on. Um, you know, you'd probably have to favour Kirill Relic, but it's still a good fight, especially for, you know, the European boxing fans. It's, it's, it's a decent fight, and, you know, that's the latest news. But, yeah, should be a good one. Regis Progress will face Juan Jose Velasco, and the winner will enter to the season two of the tournament, World Boxing Super Series. Yeah, that one being at super lightweight. Um, Regis Progre, when we had him on the show a few weeks back, he actually said, because like I say, I said it on last week's show, um, you know, he said that he was going into the World Boxing Super Series tournament. He said it's not a rumor, it's definitely happening. So I can't understand why they're now putting like this imaginary belt on the line kind of thing where the winner goes into it because Regis pretty much said that it's been agreed it's no rumor I'm going into it into that tournament so I don't understand why they're saying the winner goes in if they had prior agreements with Regis but anyway Regis is expected to do a real number on this guy Juan Velasco I think that fight's even happening next weekend so not too long to wait and um yeah um you know Regis I'm sure it's going to win and just go into the tournament, but it seems kind of weird to say the winner goes in if they've already agreed something with progress. So I might have to send him a text about that one and see what the score is there. And if I find anything out, I'll be sure to let everybody know for anyone that's interested. Um, is that it for the news, Ayaz, yeah? Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, so, you know, thanks once again for bringing us the latest news there, Ayaz. There's some cracking fights in this World Boxing Super Series tournament. Just off the top of my head there at 140, Troy Anovsky, Kirill Relic, Regis Progray, Josh Taylor, all in the same hat. And just some of those fights, if you know, if, if the people that we expect to get through the first round get through to the second round, then boy, oh boy, we're in for a real treat there. But anyway, that's it for the news. Thank you for that, Ayers, once again. It's now time for the previewing. I just want to start in a place called the Colio Querado in Trinidad, Bolivia. Now, this card here is absolutely shocking. And this is, you know, we're not mentioning this because there's good boxers on the bill. We're mentioning this because I've never seen anything like this. There are three home fighters here. I'm going to start with Saul Farah. This guy's name is Saul Farah. A cross between Canelo and Mo Farah. Um, his record, 66 wins, 24 losses, and three draws. So he is set to have his 94th pro fight against a guy who's 0-3 with one draw. What is going on there? Also on the undercard, a guy called Esteban Hillman Tababari whose record is 40 wins, 23 losses, and two draws. Okay, this is going to be his 66th pro fight. He takes on Ruben Pone, who's 0-7. and seven. Okay? And finally, this one is the best of the lot, in my opinion. Marcelo Antonio Gomez, 38-55 and 55 with six draws. This guy is actually having his 100th pro fight. He's taken on a guy called Daniel Yave, who's 0-1. and one. What is going on with this commission in Bolivia? What is going on with these matchmakers here? In fact, I want to find out who the matchmaker is. Um, the, the funny thing is, it's actually happening on a promoter's show, a, a promoter called Vinny Carita Sr., and he runs a company called Nightmare Promotions, and I think that's the right name. What a nightmare this is. Jesus, I can't believe he's even being sanctioned. Crazy. Moving over now to Kazakhstan at the Barry's Arena. This one is a real, real bizarre one as well. Babu Shumanov, the former light heavyweight world champion, fights for the vacant WBA World Cruiserweight title. Now, Babu Shumanov hasn't had a fight in two years. I've got no idea how he's jumped back to the top of the rankings. I think he retired with an injury. He's back now. He's 17-2. and two. He takes on a guy called Hizmi Altunkaya, who's actually 30-1. and one. Now, this guy, 
I really don't understand how he's been put in contention either. This is absolutely shocking. This guy here, of his one loss, he actually came in 2017 to Christoph Glowacki, and he retired on his store after five rounds. I remember that one. I think that one was in Brooklyn or the United States. No, it was in Poland. But yeah... Glowacki, I remember seeing it at the time, wow, Glowacki, you know, a good fighter, a former champion, obviously lost to Usyk and he's only, you know, he's only lost, he's taken on a guy who's like 29 and oh, this guy must be quite good, Hizni Altunkaya, no, he retired on his stall after losing pretty much every single second of every round, so he's not a good fighter, he's actually a Turkish fighter that is fighting out of Germany, and honestly, his last fight, he took on a guy who was 3-7 and seven with one draw. He went to points with him. It is really bad, honestly. I'm trying to look at his best win on his resume, and I really can't see one. They're so bad. So this guy is awful. He's taken on Bebert Shumanov, who hasn't fought since 2016 um, in, in May. So over two years. And I just can't believe it's happening. But thankfully, it's not for the full WBA world title. It's for the regular. The super title, thank the Lord, is on the line against Yusik and Gassiev. So we can look at this as a bit of a paper belt, actually. Anyway, that's it for Kazakhstan. All the very best over there. The promoter of the show is actually Bebut Shumanov as well. So um, he's promoting the show and fighting. Unbelievable. Kazakhstan and Bolivia go hand in hand right now. Moving over now, though, to the final bill to mention. It's happening at the Save Mart Arena in Fresno, California, USA. It's going to be shown on ESPN on the undercard. We have, let's start here with... Um, Andy Ruiz Jr., 30-1. He takes on Kevin Johnson, the kingpin himself, 32-9 with one draw. Now, the thing about Kevin Johnson, we all know he's well over the hill now. Um, he retired you know, just after losing to Anthony Joshua, um, and then he came back. He literally came back. He was fighting a few fights, if I'm not mistaken, in Germany, and he got stopped in his last fight, which happened in March, against a guy who was only 10-0. Andy Ruiz Jr., the same kind of thing for him in terms of his inactivity. He lost to Joseph Parker for the vacant world title. He's only had one fight since then, and it only went one round. So, to be honest, you know, he's fought one round in a year and just over a year and a half. He's had one round in a year and a half, so could be possibly a little bit ring rusty, but I don't think ring rusty enough to, you know, derail him from beating Kevin Johnson, who, like I say, at the ripe old age of 38, he's almost 39. I don't think he puts up much of a threat really now. I'd expect a win there for Andy Ruiz Jr., a man that, like I say, was right up there, world title level, and he's just kind of vanished out of nowhere really no one thinks of him as you know as a guy in the top 10 or anything like that and he's a real good fighter some people probably listening to me right now who don't even know who he is they're going to probably have to google him he's a he's a good fighter man um doesn't really look in the best shape but he can seriously go some rounds and he's got really quick hands for a big guy as well um also on this bill we have Igis Kavalowskis. That's the guy that knocked out David Avanesian in his last fight earlier this year. He really, really impressed me that night. He takes on Juan Abreu, who's 21 and 3 with one draw. Now, Juan Abreu is a real big puncher. 19 knockouts from 21 wins. Of his three losses, though, he's never been stopped. And I'm guessing Kavalowskis. You know, 19-0 and 0 with 16 knockouts. He's going to try to become the first man to stop this guy. But what I will say about Carlos Abreu, I don't know. The, the opposition hasn't really been there. The most notable name on his record is Jamal James. He did manage to put him down, um, you know, in that fight. But he lost unanimously over 10. Um, he fought Jesus Soto Karassi, beat him. But I don't know what that really says, to be honest, at this part of Karas's career. But yeah, I'm expecting Kavalowskis to get a win there and probably win quite well. But the main event here for the WBC World Super Lightweight title, the only man really at 140 who hasn't entered the WBSS that we mentioned earlier. Jose Carlos Ramirez, 22 and 0. He fights Danny O'Connor, 30 and 3. Ramirez, um, you know, he went the distance last time out with Amir Imam. He really impressed me when he beat Mike Reed. And to be honest, he is a good fighter. He's only just recently linked up with um, with Robert Garcia as his trainer. He left Freddie Roach. That was a bit of a backstabbing kind of move. But Danny O'Connor, 
I think I think he beats Danny O'Connor really easy, probably even knocks him out. Danny O'Connor, like I say, 30-3, one loss by knockout. It was actually to Gabriel Bracero. And Bracero, after knocking Danny O'Connor out in the very first round, he lost against Paulie Malinagi. And that was Paulie Malinagi's... I think it was his his last fight before taking on Sam Eggington. So a really old version of Paulie Malinagi completely beat Gabriel Bracero, who in the fight earlier knocked out Danny O'Connor in the very first round. Um, also, it's not like it was a fluke or anything. Um, of of Danny O'Connor's three losses, not only did he get stopped in the first round against Gabriel Bracero, he also lost a complete shutout to Gabriel Bracero, who's very limited. That was back in 2011. Um, so yeah, very padded record, Mr. Danny O'Connor. I think even Paulie Malinagi wanted to fight him at one point, but yeah, I think Danny O'Connor loses and probably gets knocked out, so I'm expecting a few knockouts on this bill here. I'm expecting Jose Ramirez to get the knockout over Danny O'Connor quite easily. I'm expecting Igis Kavalowskis to become the first man to stop Juan Abreu, and Andy Ruiz Jr. against Kevin Johnson. Maybe that'll go the distance, maybe. We'll have to see what version of Kevin Johnson gets in that ring. But yeah, like I say, it's a bit doom and gloom. There's not too much to review this. There's not too much to preview. We've tried to scrape the barrel a little bit there. And that really does wrap up the previewing. And just before we wrap up part two, the one last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the welterweight prospect, undefeated, known as the Flair. It's Mr. Blair Cobbs. Blair, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, hello. How you doing? Excellent, my man. How are you? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Excellent, my man. Excellent. So, Blair, I'd like to start really with a typical opening question. Please let the UK fans, the UK listeners, let them know how your journey began. How did you get into boxing in the very beginning? Well, I always wanted to be a boxer um, for a long time. And when I was a little kid, uh, my first, the first thing I ever wanted to be was a Power Ranger. And that's, that's kind of funny, but <laughs> I wanted to be a Power Ranger. And when I grew up, you know, I guess that wasn't impossible. So boxing was kind of like the next big thing for me. Excellent, man. Excellent. And um, you, you started boxing at what age? Do you remember now? Yeah, I, I think I, start, I started boxing around 14 years old, 14. Okay. And um, I, I didn't get into a boxing gym until I was, uh, until I was about 15. And um, I, I actually started in a real funny situation. I was I, I actually was um I started boxing when I was in Mexico. I was boxing in Guadalajara, Mexico. My family was living out there for a short amount of time, and um and I got to learn how to box around some of the really really tough uh, Mexican fighters and trainers. Oh wow, wow! So uh, did you have much of an amateur career? Because I don't know if you if you did. Tell us about that. Did you did you fight amateur for quite a while or? Yeah, I, I fought uh, amateur for quite a while, but it wasn't uh, the traditional amateur background where you got to go to the you know the nationals consistently and and had all these things uh, put together because I didn't have a, a stable background. I didn't have a stable uh, a stable lifestyle at that particular time as I like growing up as a youngster. Um, so I, so you know I just constantly was bouncing around and I just got my experience. Through the time that I I, um, I was boxing, I started boxing in Mexico. Then I started. Then I was boxing in New York, and um, all throughout the Bronx and, and Brooklyn and Manhattan area. And then I moved to Philadelphia, and I got a lot of experience in Philadelphia. And actually, I had I had a lot of professional experience too, um, in training camps. And um, and Bernard Hopkins mentored me. It was it's a great experience. Wow. Coming up as an amateur. Wow, that that really is quite impressive. Now, obviously, you're a Southpaw. Are you a natural Southpaw, or did you convert? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a natural Southpaw. I write with my left hand. Oh, brilliant! And okay. um, yeah. <laughs> and like you say, you you know, you were born in Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. You're now based in Las Vegas. Have I got that right? Yes. You're based Born in Las, Las Vegas. Yeah, coming yep. to Las Vegas now. Yeah, and, and that's quite a big move. I mean, that's a you know that's a completely different part of the U.S. Obviously, you said that you had a stint where you were in Mexico as well. Just tell us about you know the the journey in terms of location. It seems like you've been pretty much everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's a uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, every every location that I've, that I've uh, lived in and try and um 
and and went through boxing in the amateurs and in the pros. Um, they had their different styles and their different um, pros and cons about them. And um, when, once I made the move from Philadelphia to, uh, to Las Vegas, that's when I, I my, my professional career really started to pick up. And how did you end up in Mexico when you did, Blair? Um, my, my father was living in Mexico for, for a while. He, uh, he, found, he, he met a woman and um, fell in love, and, and then we ended up living there for a while. Excellent, yeah. man. Excellent, excellent. Now, you were training for a while um, under the tutelage of the great Ishmael Salas, if I'm not mistaken. How, how was that whole thing for you? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was fun. Interesting. I got to pick up a, a few uh, a few technical technical things and picked up a few a few skills and technique. It was it was interesting. And now I know that you've sparred some really 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 good fighters over the years. Could you just reel off a few of the guys' names that you've done rounds with for those that may not know? Um, I was in Shane Mosley's training camp for the uh, Manny Pacquiao fight. Um, I was in Marco Antonio Barrera fight. Um, in Mexico for the second Manny Pacquiao fight. Um, I was in Danny Garcia's training camp for the first time that they tried to set up a, a Zab Judah fight. And um, a few of them, uh, quite a few. Um, it was a, It's just a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and you mentioned there uh, about Marco Antonio Barrera, obviously one of the best, you know, the best Mexican fighters really, uh, certainly of this, this past generation. Um, at the time yeah. when he was when he was fighting um, Manny Pacquiao, you were you were a young kid back then, right? Yeah, yeah, I was very young. What was that? Like but I had a time? lot of a lot of uh, ability. So I, I would, like when I was younger, I had so much ability that I was overwhelming people at the time, and um and they and the people that that was training me thought that it would be good to to help out my, uh, Marco Antonio Barrera. Boxing Barrera was was incredible experience <laughs> it was it was very interesting um like early in the early in the sparring i would be getting uh, getting you know getting over on them because of my speed and my ability to move around and and just doing all kinds of awkward things and awkward movement but eventually he caught on to me with his uh his his lofty experience on top of me and it was it was just a wonderful experience to to uh to, to just be in the same ring. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And as you said there, you know, you were brought in for Shane Mosley to, you know, to, to replicate, I'm guessing, Manny Pacquiao's style. Um, you were brought in with Antonio Barrera. That would indicate somewhat that you must have a similar style to Manny Pacquiao, and that's not a that's not a bad comparison. I mean, Manny Pacquiao, one of the greatest, of course. Um, are you, you know, do you fight similar to Manny? Um, at times, at times, um, in my earlier days, I had that very same style, especially coming into the amateurs. I was overwhelming people with, with punches and bunches and, and just pretty much flooding people out. It was so bad to a point that people thought that I was on steroids, but I was in the amateur, you know, because, because I was just able to just put out so much energy and like as a pro, I kind of settled down to be able to place my shots a little bit better and to be more seasoned. But um, at, at times, I can put out that same kind of effort and that same kind of um, tenacity as Manny Pacquiao did. Well, that certainly excites me for sure. Now, of course, you're you're signed to Golden Boy right now. Uh, your record is currently 7-0, and undefeated with one draw. That draw came in your last fight, which was back in March of this year. It was a technical draw, though. Could you just walk us through what basically happened in that fight there? I, I understand you were taking on a fellow undefeated prospect as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he, he, was, a, he was a good fighter, but um, at the particular time... I was really, really drained for that fight. I was really drained, and um, and looking back at that fight, I just I could have put out a whole lot more, but my body was was kind of just shot for uh, energy, and um, it made it made me have a subpar performance to be able to put that guy out. But the no no discredit to the uh, to the opponent because he he uh, he definitely got in there and did the best he could do. Yeah, I mean the main, the main thing obviously is you know it's a draw, it's a minor blemish. It's not like you you know you've lost your undefeated yeah. streak, of course. Well, well in in the okay this this in the scorecards, 
The score the scorecard still read me off as the winner. I won every single round. Um, but because of the um, uh, accidental headbutt in the fourth round, in like the early early going of the fourth round, it had to be um, called a technical draw. So it, it's it's a draw by technicality. It wasn't like a back and forth action fight, whereas though like it was really really close. It just ha- it just so happened to be. You know, the guy ended up getting a cut on his head. And I didn't know that, like, if you get a head, if you get a, uh, like, an accidental headbutt and the guy and the guy gets cut, that, like, before the four, you know, bef- like, in between four rounds, it goes straight to, like, a technical draw. After four rounds, it goes to the scorecard. But the the fight was only four rounds. So, yeah. like, um, based upon, like, you know, the the rules, um, it's it's a technical draw, so it's not even like a real draw on my record. But it was a learning experience, to say the least. Yeah, for sure, because it seems quite harsh, actually. Because you know, if, if if they would have let the fight carry on an extra, you know, an extra couple of minutes or whatever it was, just to the end of the round, I'm not sure how bad the cut was. It must have been pretty bad. But if somehow they would have let the guy carry on, then you know, you're saying you'd have won on a decision. So you've it's kind of unlucky on your part, but we'll leave that in the past. Yeah. You said there that you were, you know, you were very, very drained for that fight. You've decided to now move up, uh, move up seven pounds to welterweight, which um, I'm, I'm sure will be a, a brilliant thing for you. You're fighting this Friday in Los Angeles. You're taking on another undefeated prospect, a man called Ramiro Kibrian or Sibrian, I think it may be said. It's a four-round fight once again. What should we expect to see from you come Friday night, Blair? Fireworks. <laughs> like my name, like my name uh, says, man, I'm the flair, and I'm going to show out. I'm going to show up and show out. I'm going to bring a whole lot of tenacity, a whole lot of flair. I'm going to bring a whole lot of everything: speed, power, um, agility, and the throwback from the old school fighters. You're going to see style and grace. And of course, this interview is taking place on the Monday of Fight Week. Tell me, Blair, what will you get up to each day from now until Fight Night? Just give us a uh, you know, take us through the motions of what you really get up to day by day on fight week. Um, well, throughout the throughout fight week, I'm just I'm just preparing my mind and my body, and you know, um, to to just be able to fight. I'm ready to fight right now. Now it's just all about waiting, waiting until that time. We chopping down the weight little by little, but it's not very much weight because I just moved up. So right now, I'm just I'm just focusing, preparing my mind, watching fight tape of an old school fighter. And just and just preparing, preparing, visualizing, and doing things of that nature. And now in eating that healthy world, food. Sorry to cut you off. Eating healthy food. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, and that's it. And in the one forty-seven pound division, obviously welterweight. Um, at the moment, people are kind of struggling to to identify a real king of the division. For me, it was certainly Keith Furman. I think that you know that win over Danny Garcia solidified him a unified champion. Um, obviously, he's since lost one of his belts. Terence Crawford has moved up, the former one forty king. You've got Errol Spence. People are talking about as possibly the number one guy. Who do you identify at this moment as being the man to beat the real king of that division um right now it's all about Blair Cobb beating Earl Spence <laughs> and Terrence Crawford <laughs> but uh Earl Spence and Terrence Crawford may uh, may fight um so I may I may be in training camp for one of those fighters because I'm a self for myself and um it'll be nice to get the experience and then later on when the uh, when the dust settles I'll be fighting one of them and putting one of them down you know, and uh, and that's that's the kind of mindset I gotta have in order to like be the number one fighter. For sure, of course, of course. And another fight that's happening, I believe, I think it's it's it's, it's next weekend or perhaps the weekend after. Lucas Matisse defending his world title in a couple of weeks. Um, it's a real hard fight to call, in my opinion. Manny didn't look great against Jeff Horn. Matisse didn't look great until he knocked out his last opponent to win the world title. If this fight happened five years ago, I'd say it's an easy win for Pacquiao. Now I'm not quite sure. Who do you see emerging victorious? Um... I still like Pacquiao, man. I'm I'm a big Pacquiao fan. I've always been. I just I just believe in Pacquiao no matter what. Uh, he he's he's still he's a little older. Things is things is different. His tools aren't the same. 
He has different tools. But if he's able to utilize the tools that he do have to be able to uh, out-trick this uh, young lion, I think I think he has a chance to win. I mean, this guy, uh, Matisse, he has a problem with almost every south call he fights. I mean, every single one of them. You know, he lost every single southpaw that he fought. <laughs> so, and, and every boxer that he fought. And do I think that Pacquiao, is, like, at the experience level that he has, have the ability to box? I think so. So, um, if, if, if Pacquiao does box, I think he'll win. If he doesn't and he tries to just bang out and falls victim to Matisse's power, it, it could be a long night for both fighters. Certainly. A very, very intriguing fight, that one. And coming down to my last couple of questions for you now, Blair. Um, What's your knowledge like of UK boxing? I usually like to ask all the guys that we speak to from overseas, what's their favorite UK fighter of any era? But if if your UK boxing knowledge isn't quite up there, you don't really have to answer that question. It's down to you. Oh, man, I love UK boxing. Great. I I actually wanted to box for UK, honestly, at one point. You know, um, right now... AJ all day. What about the heavyweight? From um, from history, I like I like the other heavyweight actually. And he he beat he beat uh, Mike Tyson, and Lennox he won Lewis. the um the yeah yep Lennox Lewis. He won he won the um the Olympic. Man, he was incredible. He was incredible. I remember he beat uh, Riddick Bowe in the, in the amateurs. He was incredible. Um, Amir Khan is a is an incredible um UK fighter. Um, Kell Brook. A incredible UK UK fighter. I wish they would have fought each other early on, in, in their in their um in their career. And uh, yeah, it's a bunch. It's a bunch of guys. Ricky Hatton. Oh my god, like Ricky Hatton Mayweather. Like really inspired me to really really do my best in boxing. That was a that was like my favorite year, 2007. Carl Froch. Oh man, it, the list can go on forever. <laughs> What's your thoughts on Prince Joe Kawasaki? Oh my God, <laughs> Joe Kawasaki! Joe Kawasaki is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thoughts on Prince Nassim Hamed? Everyone likes him. Prince Nassim Hamed, he is something else. He he really brought light into the 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 lighter division when it came to just all boxing, not UK boxing, but just all of boxing. Because first it was, it was all about the heavyweights, and if you wasn't a heavyweight, you wasn't you wasn't no good. <laughs> but Prince Nassim Hamed, he is a phenom. He was he just came in there like a whirlwind of of just tenacity, and just man, he 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 really turned things around. He was incredible. Yeah, he certainly. I was. can't believe I forgot to mention his name. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Everyone yeah, likes to say. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, he truly was. Yeah. What's some of your favorite guys? Flipping to over top of the front, the 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 rope. He'll That's flip it. over the rope, all that stuff. Things that I couldn't even do. You should try that one. <laughs> and I'm a you gymnast. Try that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a gymnast too. Like I was one of the youngest people to ever do a tri- uh, a double backflip. Really? I think I was like at the time I was like five, like five or six years old. Yeah. <laughs> You should Chris definitely Nassim try. Was that you, should good. try that. you should try that 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 flip over the rope though, man. You should try that. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> and like I say, coming down to the last question or two, um, who is some of your favorite boxers to watch now? Do you like to watch boxing in your spare time? If so, of all the guys today, who excites you? Um, right now, I'm really, really watching. I really, I watch a lot of old old school tapes right now. Like lately, I've been watching Sugar Ray Leonard and, and trying to uh, break down like some of his methods and the way he boxed. That's that's like lately I've been watching that. But um, Terrence Crawford, like the way he does things is is really really good. Very technical sound. I've been watching him very closely. He, he's fluctuating height. He's fluctuating distance. He's playing the jab game in the, in the beginning of the rounds and everything. By the time people get like he he tries to win the jab game, and then and, and if he if that doesn't work, he'll switch and 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 work the jab from the other side, and he'll wait he'll wait he'll wait until the guy starts to make a mistake, starts to get frustrated, they start to come in 
because they're tired of getting jabbed. And then, and then he starts countering, pop, 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 pop. And then next thing you know it, the fight is over because, you know, he's putting, he's putting together combinations with these counter punches uh, when these people overcommit and, um, and make mistakes. And he, he's amazing. He's, he's stepping around, and he's not even, like, that talented. Terrence Crawford wasn't the talented fighter. I know, I know people, and I know him from when he was an amateur. He wasn't the talented guy. But he has so much. He got so much skill and ability that it's uh that it's amazing right now. I'm I'm just watching everything that he's doing, and it's uh it's 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 a real treat to watch a Terence Crawford fight for me. Yeah, to me as well. Certainly a brilliant fighter, a man that's just moved up to one four seven like you have. Um, lastly, Blair, I'd like to just ask you to inform our listeners of where they can follow you on social media, anything like that, where they can follow your journey. Yeah, you can follow me on Blair Cobb, Blair.Cobb on, um, on Instagram. You can, you can follow me at Blair Cobb on, on Facebook and, and just watch out for me. Um, Blair the Flair. Blair the Flair. No Twitter account just yet? Uh, no Twitter account just yet. I'm... I'm I'm still kind of reasonably new to this stuff, so like you know, I I really need some help with some with getting that stuff together, but um I'm still working on it. Okay, we'll certainly look out for that. So, Blair Cobbs on Facebook, Blair.Cobbs on Instagram. Everybody go and check that. But listen, Blair, it's been my absolute pleasure speaking with you this week, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck for Friday, and we shall catch up sometime after. I'm sure. Thank you very much. The pleasure is mine. Okay, and this wraps up episode 142 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the former WBA heavyweight world champion, Mr. Lucas Brown, and the up-and-coming undefeated welterweight prospect, Mr. Blair Cobbs. It's been a little while, actually, since we've spoken to a guy that's only had a handful of fights, so it was brilliant to get Blair on the show. A few things have happened whilst we've been making the show, though. A few bits of news. James DeGaulle has relinquished his IBF world title, meaning that he won't be forced into fighting Jose Uzcategui, who many felt would probably be able to beat James DeGaulle, to be honest. Anthony Joshua has announced that his two next fights will be happening at Wembley Stadium on September 22nd and April the 13th. Some opponents to be named in the coming weeks, I believe. Um, and also, after a few dates falling through, Andre Berto and Devin Alexander will finally be getting it on on August the 4th in New York. Jay Leon Love will also fight on the undercard against the former world champion Kid Chocolate Peter Quillin. But that's really all we have, people. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. The biggest thanks of all goes to you. Have a fantastic weekend, and we shall see you all next week. <laughs>